Chapter Six of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Six, A Sleigh Ride and Something More. Lottie assumed an unusual degree of gaiety during the early part of the meal, but her flow of spirits seemed unequal, and to flag toward the last. She had sudden fits of abstraction, during which her jetty eyebrows contracted into unwanted frowns. Her practical joke did not promise so well as on the evening before. That unexpected half-hour's talk had shown some actions in a new light. She did not mind doing wicked things that had a spice of hardihood and venturesomeness in them, but to do what had been made to appear mean and dishonorable was another thing and she was provoked enough at hemstead for having unconsciously given that aspect to her action and character and still more annoyed and perplexed that her conscience should so positively side with him thus it will be seen that her conscience was unawakened rather than seared and deadened as she came to know hemstead better she found that he was different from what she had expected the conventional idea of a theological student had dwelt in her mind and she had expected to find a rather narrow and spiritually conceited man full of the clerical mannerisms which she had often heard laughed at but she saw that hemstead's awkwardness would wear away through familiarity with society and that when at ease he was simple and manly in manner she also perceived that his seclusion from the world which was the cause of his diffidence had been employed in training and richly storing his mind moreover to one so accustomed to the insincerity of society his perfect frankness of speech and manner was a novelty interesting if not always pleasing she read his thoughts as she would an open page and saw that he esteemed her as a true sincere girl kind and womanly and that he had for her the strongest respect she feared that when he discovered her true self he would scorn her to loathing not that she cared, except that her pride would be hurt, but as she was more proud than vain, she feared this honest man's verdict. But soon her old reckless self triumphed. Of course what I am doing will seem awful to him, she thought. I knew that before I commenced. He shall not preach me out of my fun in one half hour. If I could make him love me in spite of what I am, it would be the greater triumph after all i am only acting as all the girls in my set do when they get a chance it's not as bad as he makes out still that was an eventful half-hour when they looked out upon a transfigured world together and while she saw nature in her rarest and purest beauty she had also been given a glimpse into the more beautiful world of truth where god dwells but as the morning advanced good impulses and better feelings and thoughts vanished even as the snow-wreaths were dropping from branch and spray, leaving them as bare as before. By the time the sleigh drove up to the door, she was as bent as ever upon victimizing the western giant, as the conspirators had named him. She was her old, decided, resolute self, all the more resolute because, facing to her a new hindrance, her own conscience, which Hempstead had unwittingly awakened, and it said to its uncomfortable possessor some rather severe things that day if lottie were bell parton she would have been in a miserably undecided state but it was her nature to carry out what she had begun if for no other reason than that she had begun it and she was not one to give up a frolic at any one's scolding even her own 
as she tripped down the broad stairs in a rich cloak trimmed with fur she reminded hemstead of some rare tropical bird and de forest indulged in many notes of admiration lottie received these as a matter of course but looked at the student with genuine interest his expression seemed to satisfy her for she turned away to hide a smile that meant mischief it was quietly arranged that hemstead should sit beside her and he felicitated himself over their artifice as if it were rare good fortune though the sun and the rising breeze had shaken off the clustering snow to a great extent the evergreens still bent beneath their beautiful burdens some straight cedars reminding one of vigorous age where snowy hair and beard alone suggested the flight of years though the face of nature was so white it was not the face of death there was a sense of movement and life which was in accord with their own spirits and rapid motion snowbirds fluttered and twittered in weedy thickets by the wayside breakfasting on the seeds that fell like black specks upon the snow the bright sunlight had lured the red squirrels from their moss-lined nests in hollow trees and their barking was sometimes heard above the chime of the bells there goes a parson crow cried addie marchmont how black and solemn he looks against the snow why are crows called parsons mr hemstead asked lottie as a child might indeed i don't know for as good a reason i suppose as that some girls are called witches she gave him a quick keen look and said i hope you mean nothing personal i should never charge you with being a witch miss marston but i might with witchery a distinction without a difference she said seeking to lead him on he means explained de forest that you might be bewitching if you chose hush julian you leave no room for the imagination said lottie frowningly look at that farmyard miss marston said hemstead the occupants seem as glad that the storm is over as we are what pictures of placid content those ruminating cows are under that sunny shed see the pranks of that colt which the boy is trying to lead to water i wish i were on his back with the prairie before me indeed are you so anxious to escape present company now i didn't say that but we have passed by and i fear you did not see the pretty rural picture to which i called your attention were i an artist i would know where to make a sketch to-day i think you will find that miss marsden's taste differs very widely from yours said de forest that is if you give us to understand that you would seek your themes in a barnyard and set your easel upon a muck-heap though your pictures might not rank high they would still be very rank even lottie joined slightly in the general and not complimentary laugh at hemstead which followed this thrust but he with heightened color said you cannot criticize my picture mr de forest for it does not exist therefore i must conclude that your satire is directed against my choice of place and subjects yes as with the offence of denmark's king they smell to heaven i appeal to you miss marsden was not the scent of hay and the breath of cattle as we caught them passing sweet and wholesome i cannot deny that they were you have judicial fairness and shall be umpire in this question and now mr de forest there is a celebrated and greatly admired picture in a certain gallery representing a scene from the roman saturnalia you do not object to that with its classical accessories as a work of art not at all and yet it portrays a corruption that does in truth offend heaven your muck-heap which did not enter my thought at all and would not have been in my picture could i paint one would have been wholesome in comparison 
Have I made a point, Judge Marsden? I think you have. Finally, Mr. De Forest, what are we to do with the fact that some of the greatest painters in the world have employed their brushes upon just such scenes as these, which perhaps offend your nose and taste more than they do heaven, and that pictures such as that farmyard would suggest adorn the best galleries of Europe? What artists of note have painted barnyard scenes? asked De Forest in some confusion. Well, there is Herring, the famous English artist, for one. Herring, indeed, you are evidently telling a fish story, said De Forest contemptuously. No, he is not, said Lottie. Herring is a famous painter, I am told, and we have some engravings of his works. And I have read somewhere, continued Hemstead, that his painting of an English farmyard is the most celebrated of his works. Moreover, Judge Marston, I must ask of you another decision as to the evidence in this case. I affirm that I did not call your attention to the farmyard itself, but to the occupants. Is not that true? I cannot deny that it is. We all know that many eminent artists have made the painting of animals a specialty, and among them are such world-renowned names as Landseer and Rosa Bonner. Moreover, in the numerous pictures of the nativity, we often find the homely details of the stable introduced. One of Rubens' paintings of this sacred and favorite subject, which hangs in the gallery of the Louvre, represents two oxen feeding at a rack. Come, Julian, hand over your sword. It won't do for you or any one to sit in judgment on such painters as Mr. Hempstead has named. You are fairly beaten. I shall admire barnyards in future through thick and thin. That is hardly a fair conclusion from any testimony of mine, said Hemstead. A barnyard may be all that Mr. De Forest says of it, but I am sure you will always find pleasure in seeing a fine frolicsome horse or a group of patient cattle. The homely accessories may, and sometimes may not, add to the picture. How do you come to know so much about pictures? Theology has nothing to do with art. I dissent from Judge Marston's decision now most emphatically, replied Hemstead. Is not true art fidelity to nature? Yes, so it is claimed. And where does nature come from? God is the divine artist and is furnishing themes for all other artists. God is the author of landscapes, mountains, rivers. Of scenes like that we saw this morning, or of a fine face and a noble form, as truly as of a character in the Bible. He manifests himself in these things. Now fine paintings, statuary, and music bring out the hidden meanings of nature, and therefore more clearly God's thought. Theology, or knowledge concerning our Creator, is a science to which everything can minister. And surely the appreciation of the beautiful should be learned in connection with the author of all beauty. I never thought of God in that light before, said Lottie. He has always seemed like one watching to catch me at something wrong. Our solemn old Sunday-school teacher used to say to us children just before we went home, Now during the week, whenever you are tempted to do anything wrong, remember the text, Thou, God, seest me. When wasn't I tempted to do wrong? And I had for a long time the uncomfortable feeling that two great eyes were always staring at me. But this isn't sleigh-ride chit-chat, and she broke into a merry little trill from a favorite opera. Hemstead, with his strong love of the beautiful, could not help watching her with deepening interest. The rapid motion, the music of the bells, the novel scenery of the sunlighted, glittering world around her, and chief of all, her own abounding health and animal life, combined to quicken her excitable nature into the keenest enjoyment. 
From her red lips came ripples of laughter, trills from operas, sallies of fun, that kept the entire party from the thought of heaviness. And to the honest-minded Hemstead were the evidences of a happy, innocent heart. With secret exultation she saw how rapidly and unconsciously the unwary student was passing under the spell of her beauty and witchery. One must have been cursed with a sluggish, half-dead body and a torpid soul had he not responded to the influences under which our gay party spent the next few hours. Innumerable snowflakes had carried down from the air every particle of impurity, and left it sweet and wholesome enough to seem the elixir of immortal youth. It was so tempered, also, that it only braced and stimulated. The raw, pinching coldness of the previous day was gone. The sun, undimmed by a cloud, shone genially, and eaves facing the south were dripping, the drops falling like glittering gems. Now and then a breeze would career down upon them, and catching the light snow from the adjacent fence would cast it into their faces as a mischievous schoolboy might. "'Stop that!' cried Lottie to one of these sportive zephyrs. "'Do you call that a gust of wind? I declare it was a viewless sprite, or a party of snow-elves playing their mad pranks upon us.' "'I prefer fairies less cold and ethereal,' said De Forest, with a meaning look at the speaker. "'What do you prefer, Mr. Hemstead?' she asked. "'But where we people of the world speak of fairies, sprites, and nymphs, I suppose you permit yourself to think only of angels.' Were it so, he replied, I should still be of the same mind as Mr. De Forest, and be glad that you are not an angel. Why so? You might use your wings and leave us. Were I one, I would not leave you after that speech, but see how far I am from it. I weigh one hundred and fifteen pounds. I wish you were no farther off than that. What do you mean? It's not our weight in avoirdupois that drags us down, but I am not going to preach any more today. Listen to the bells, how they echo from the hillside. Yes, Julian, listen to Bell, said Lottie to De Forest, who was about to speak. I'm talking to Mr. Hemstead. See those snow crystals on my muff? How can you account for so many odd and beautiful shapes? To me, all the countless forms in nature, said Hemstead, prove an infinite mind gratifying itself. They are expressions of creative thought. Nonsense! God doesn't bother with such little things as these. We do not know what seems small or great to him. The microscope reveals as much in one direction as the telescope in another, and the common housefly seems in size midway in animal life. And do you believe that the divine hand is employed in forming such trifles as these? The divine will is, but these trifles make the avalanche and the winter's protection for next year's harvest. What is that? asked Harcourt from the front seat where he was driving. Don't you know, cried Lottie, that Mr. Hemstead thinks everything we see, even to nature's smallest trifles, an expression of the divine creative thought. Is that seeing such an expression? asked Harcourt with a sneering laugh in which the others joined. By the roadside there was a small hovel, at the door of which a half-fed, ill-conditioned pig was squealing. When they were just opposite, a slatternly, carrot-headed woman opened the door, and raised her foot to drive the clamorous beast away. Altogether it was as squalid and repulsive a picture as could well be imagined. Yes, replied Lottie, looking into his face with twinkling eyes. Was that sweet pastoral scene an expression of creative thought? The woman certainly was not, he answered, reddening. 
a thought may be greatly perverted whatever moral qualities may be asserted of her manners costume and character said harcourt she is not to blame for the cast of her features and the color of her hair i scarcely know of an artist who would express any such thought unless he wished to satirize humanity you can call up before you the portrait of some beautiful woman can you not mr harcourt let me assist you cried de forest pulling from his inner pocket a photograph of lottie hush julian i'm sorry you do not appreciate this grave argument more i'll take that picture from you if you don't behave better well i have a picture before me now that satisfies me fully said mr harcourt turning to lottie with a smiling bow now suppose that you had painted just such a likeness and finished it suppose i should come afterwards and without destroying your picture utterly should blend with those features the forbidding aspect of the woman we have just seen would you not say that your thought was greatly perverted i should think i would well mother eve was the true expression of the divine artist's creative thought and the woman we saw was the perversion of it you can trace no evil thing to the source of all good perfection is not the author of imperfection who does the perverting then asked lottie evil i don't think it fair that one face and form should be perverted into hideousness and another left with something of the first perfection evil is never fair miss marsden but is it only evil i have heard plain children told when resenting their ugliness that it was wicked for they were just as god made them can you think of a better way to make a young girl hate god than to tell her that but suppose it's true i am sure it is not just the opposite is true the ugly and deformed are as evil as marred them and not that god has made them by seeking the divine artist's aid more than humanity's first perfection can be regained it is possible for even that wretched creature we saw to attain an outward loveliness exceeding that of any woman now living that passes beyond the limit of my imagination said harcourt absurd muttered de forest i fear you are not orthodox said bell that means you do not agree with me but please do not think that because i am a minister you must talk upon subjects that are rather grave and deep for a sleighing party that's right cousin frank said addie dr beams will want you to preach for him next sunday i advise you to reserve your thunder till that occasion when you may come out as strong as you please chinese thunder at best whispered harcourt to addie but all heard him hemstead bit his lip and said nothing but lottie spoke up quickly no matter about the thunder mr harcourt that is only noise under any circumstances but suppose there is the lightning of truth in what mr hemstead says and suppose there is not he replied with a shrug hemstead gave lottie a quick pleased look which bell and de forest smilingly noted and the conversation changed to lighter topics as they were passing through a small hamlet some miles back from the river a bareheaded man came running out from a country store and beckoned them to stop saying we're going to give our dominie a donation party to-night perhaps mrs marchmont will do something for us or likely you'll all like to drive over and help the young folks enjoy themselves capital cried lottie i've always wanted to attend a country donation do you think we can come Addie? oh certainly if you wish but i fear you won't enjoy it you will not meet any of our set there i don't wish to meet them i want to meet the other set and have a frolic 
"'It will be moonlight, and we will have the drive, "'which will be the best part of it, you will find,' said Harcourt. "'Yes, we will come.' "'Them folks think that they's made of different flesh and blood "'from the other set, as they call us, "'and that pretty young woman wants to come as she would to a menagerie,' "'muttered the man as he went back to the store. "'No matter. Let em come. They will help us make up the salary.' "'Of course, Mr. Hemstead, you will enter upon this expedition with great zeal, "'as it will be to the advantage of one of your fraternity. "'I think, with Mr. Harcourt, that the ride will be the best part of it.' "'Oh, for shame! Can it be true that two of even your trade can never agree?' "'Long ages of controversy prove that,' said Harcourt. "'I think your profession has done more to keep the world in hot water than ours, Mr. Harcourt.' We at least agree among ourselves. All the worse, perhaps, for the world. That's rather severe if you refer to the proverb, When rogues fall out, honest men get their dues, said Lottie. I supposed we were talking in jest. I was. You evidently belong to the church militant, since you strike back so hard even in jest, said Harcourt. "'Very well. Since you are so able to take care of yourself, I shall have no compunctions in regard to your fate.' Hempstead did not understand this remark, but the others did, and significant glances were exchanged. He turned inquiringly to Lottie, feeling that in a certain sense he had an ally in her, but she seemed looking away abstractedly as if she had not heeded the remark. She was too quick to be caught easily and the conviction grew upon him that while the others from his calling and difference in views and tastes had a natural aversion, she was inclined to be friendly, and yet she puzzled him not a little at times, as now, for instance, when she turned and said, "'I suppose there are a great many nice young men at your seminary.' "'I've never heard them called nice young men,' he replied, looking at her keenly. "'Oh, I beg your pardon. Good, pious, devotional young men, I mean.' all ought to be that do you not think so well yes i think so since they are to become ministers i didn't say that there's a hint for you julian de forest's reply was a contemptuous shrug and laugh it would be anything but agreeable to him to be thought good pious and devotional qualities not in demand at his club nor insisted on by lottie and entirely repugnant to his tastes do they all intend to be missionaries as well as yourself she continued oh no some no doubt will take city churches and marry wealthy wives would that be wrong i am not the judge it's a matter of taste and conscience would you not marry a lady of wealth i would marry the woman i loved that is if i could get her well added said de forest yes sir i agree with you every man had better add that "'Indeed they had,' said Lottie, with a mischievous twinkle in her eyes. "'There is always a chance for a man who will never take no for an answer,' said De Forest, with a light laugh. "'Do you think so?' she said, lifting her eyebrows questioningly. "'I agree with Mr. Hemstead. It's a matter of taste and conscience.' "'Do you intend to be a missionary, Mr. Hemstead?' asked Bell Parton. "'I hope so,' he replied quietly. "'Yes,' said Lottie. "'Just think of it. "'He is going away out to the jumping-off place at the west, "'where he will have the border ruffians on one side "'and the scalping Indians on the other. "'You said you would marry the woman you loved if you could. "'Do you think any real nice girl would go with you "'out to such a horrible place?' 
I'm sure I don't know. If the one I want won't venture, I can go alone. Do you think she'll go? asked Lottie so innocently that the others had no slight task in controlling their faces. Who will go? said Hemstead quickly. The one whom you said you wanted to. Now I'm sure I did not mention any one, said Hemstead, blushing and laughing. Well, you did not exactly speak her name. No, I should think not, since I don't know it myself. How provoking, pouted Lottie. I thought we were going to have a nice little romance. It's a pity I've nothing to tell, in view of my sympathizing audience, he replied, with a glance at the gigglers on the other seats. But I have been told, said Lottie, that in emergencies committees have been appointed to select wives for missionaries, and that there are excellent women who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the cause. An explosion of laughter followed these words, but she looked at the others in innocent surprise. "'That's a funny speech for you to make so gravely,' said Hemstead. "'I fear you are quizzing me. Your missionary lore certainly exceeds mine in regard to the committees. But there will be no emergency in my case, and I should be very sorry to have any woman, excellent or otherwise, sacrifice herself for me.' "'I have certainly heard so,' said Lottie positively. I fear you have heard more to the prejudice of missionaries and their works than in their favor, he said, somewhat gravely. But I am willing to hear the other side, she whispered in his ear. Now I protest against that, said De Forest. I'll give you the privilege of whispering to Bell, said Lottie sweetly. Oh, thank you, replied De Forest with a shrug. You can also help me out, she continued, as the sleigh stopped at Mrs. Marchmont's door. As he did so, he whispered in her ear, Capital, Lottie, you are a star actress, and always my bright particular star. Don't be sentimental, Julian, was her only response. At this moment, Lottie's brother Dan fired a snowball that carried off Mr. Hemstead's hat, at which all laughed and expected to see the young theologian assumed a look of offended dignity. He disappointed them by good-naturedly springing out after his hat, and was soon romping with the boy and Mrs. Marchmont's two younger children. This was too tempting to Lottie, who joined in the frolic at once. Hemstead laughingly allowed himself to be their victim, and skillfully threw great snowballs so as just to miss them, while they pelted him till he was white, and, as if utterly defeated, he led them a breathless chase up and down the broad path. Their cries and laughter brought half the household to the doors and windows to watch the sport. De Forest ventured down from the piazza with the thought that he could throw a spiteful ball or two at one he already disliked a little, as well as despised. But Hemstead immediately showed what a self-sacrificing victim he was to Lottie and the children, by almost demolishing De Forest with a huge snowball that stung his ear sharply, got down his neck, spoiling his collar, and necessitating such a toilet that he was late for dinner. His plight took Lottie out of the field also, for she sank on the lower step of the piazza, her hand upon her side, helpless with laughter. Hemstead retreated to a side door, where he shook himself after the manner of a polar bear, and escaped to his room. End of chapter 6